Get ready for winter driving at Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers with super deals on tires, including up to $200 on new Goodyear tires, plus oil changes, brakes, batteries, and more. For value and savings, click on gotodobbs.com today. This is Scoops with Danny Mac, the podcast, powered by I Promise. Now, here's Danny Mac. Ah, yes, it's a game night. That means Alex Ferrario is in for the first segment. We're going to talk to uh, Brian Walden as we'll talk baseball coming up this hour on Scoops with Danny Mack. And it's back-to-back. That means the Sharks are in town. What do we got, Alex? 8 o'clock, the puck drop. We got 7 o'clock pregame. Blues hockey is on the air tonight here on 101 ESPN. Sharks and Blues back to back. It was five to four the other night. By the way, great to see you. You as well, Danny. Uh, you are dressed up again for it's a decked out, Danny. It's game day. Game the day. The suits on. The jeans are ready to go. The shoes are shined. It's game day. So, what are you expecting here in this back to back coming up tonight? This one's going to be fun. Uh, I think mostly because this is how I'm going to be able to analyze this Blues team. You know, we had. The start of the season, which was great. We had the ugly 8 nothing loss. You had the rebound game after the ugly loss, first home game. This is the one where kind of all moods are back down to even, so you can see what the Blues have to offer and if they can respond. This is how teams respond with these baseball series because I think what we're going to be seeing a lot of this year are the series splits. I don't know if you're going to see a lot of sweeps in the NHL, so this one's going to be a fun opportunity to really break down what this Blues team's going to be this year after their win. What are you expecting in terms of adjustments on both sides? We'll start with San Jose. Let's start with, yeah. I'm expecting the defense to be a lot tighter. Um, and frankly, they got to kind of help out their goaltending because if there's a weak spot for San Jose right now, it's that goaltending position. Devin Dubnik, who was the backup, he got the start, as we all know. Martin Jones has not been the Martin Jones that San Jose hopes he can be. So that's going to be the adjustment. I expect them to play a lot more physical in their own zone. And really, San Jose is going to be a team that if they want to have success, just put pucks to the net. That's how they beat Bennington the four times that they did the other night. Um, and the power play opportunities, they're just going to have to capitalize on if San Jose wants to take advantage of this one but I'm expecting that first period to be fast much like it was for Colorado in that first period on uh, Friday how about for the Blues Blues have to be tighter defensively Dan and they got to get to a faster start I think those are the two biggest things that Craig Berube is going to want to see I know everyone's texting in right now as fast as they can that the penalty kill and the power play need to be better Penalty kill definitely needs to be better. Power play is going to improve over time. It's just a matter of getting that monkey off your back of scoring that first goal. But look, the three games that they played in two of the three, they've gotten off to slow starts. I mean, San Jose took the 2-0 lead after the first the other night, and then against Colorado, it was 0-0, but Colorado was the better team. So they're going to have to try and get to their game faster like they did in the opening night against Colorado. And frankly, they're going to have to not allow these guys to skate through the neutral zone because that has just been like a a free runway for these teams to skate through two defensemen and go right at Jordan Bennington. Yeah, let's be honest. Special teams has just got to be better. Five on five has been really good for the Blues, but special teams got to be better starting tonight for the Blues. Yeah, and let's start with the penalty kill, Dan, because that's the one I think is the biggest hole right now for the Blues because this has a trickle-down effect. If you don't have a strong enough penalty kill, then you're in the position of having to play a lot more cautious at five on 
on five. And the Blues are at their best when they're not playing cautious. When they're playing heavy physical, you take a penalty, you know you can kill it off. Right now, it feels like they're a little bit of gun shy. Of every time they take a penalty, they know what's going to happen. So that needs to be improved. I think Joe Vitale has broken it down perfect these last couple of days, um, talking about how this isn't just throwing fourth-line guys out there and saying, go kill a penalty. These are some of your smartest players, and three of those smartest players aren't on your team anymore in Steen, Petro, and Bo. So it's a work in progress, but I do believe that Alex, um, uh, Steve Ott and Craig Berube will get this figured out with these guys, even without a guy like Alexander Steen on the ice. Power play, I'm just I'm not too concerned about still. I feel I still think this is going to be one of the better power play units in the NHL. It's just getting to know guys. It's understanding how the chemistry works. It's understanding what power play lines work the best. Don't be surprised if Craig Berube juggles it up again later tonight to see what he can get. Maybe a Pareko at the point to use that slap shot. Maybe Hoffman back on that number one unit. You just got to find the right chemistry. And like I said, when that first one goes in, I expect the power play to kind of flourish from there. I've been watching the games, and I still think it's kind of a feeling out process for Krug. You know, it's been a lot of excitement with the signing. He's coming in, Petro gone. You, you, you know, you look at that contract, it's a big deal. And yep. you say, well man, this is our guy, you know, and then it's, well, it's been okay. It mm-hmm. hasn't been great. It's just been okay. What what have you thought so far? I've been the same way with it, Dan. Offensively, I think he's been a breath of fresh air. I mean, watching him in the offensive oh, zone. Th- there's no doubt about that. Yeah, Don't get me wrong. He's putting pucks on net. He's creating opportunities. He's playing below the goal line. I love everything about that. The feeling out process is in his own zone. Mm-hmm. And if you think about it, he has spent, what, the last six years playing in the Boston Bruins organization. It's kind of the same thing that happened with Justin Falk. You play the same defense for so many years, and his partners were always the same. It was either Brandon Carlo or it was Adano Chara. So if you're playing with the same guys in the same organization every single year, it's going to take a little bit of a learning curve to understand, okay, how does Colton Pareko like to play? Because Colton Pareko is a guy that likes to jump up in the rush. So does Tory Krug, who's the one that's going to be the stay-at-home defenseman. If you look at it, I would argue the best pairing right now on defense for the Blues has been Scandella and Falk. The reason being, Falk is the guy who jumps up into the zone, and Scandella is the stay-at-home defenseman. So I think that's just the learning curve in the own defensive zone. I think there's just going to have to be a little bit more communication, but Colton Pareko and Tory Krug are two really smart guys on the ice and Krug has talked about how it is kind of just understanding your partner but when that clicks I think they will be a very dynamic pair out there for the Blues. Ville Husso when do you think we finally see him make his first starting debut? You know Joey asked uh, asked Panger this on the fourth period the other night our post game show and he asked him if Ville would get the start tonight because you get a win let's go back to Ville give him an actual game rather than the one he played in Panger said no. Panger said you play Bennington again. I mean, look, you're basically going every other day right now, which is a playoff format for goaltenders. You don't want to do that in a 56-game schedule. I would imagine that now you had the day off, you played tonight, you're going to have two days off, and you're going to play Saturday against the Kings. So if if I were a betting man, which, I mean, I am, Dan, I would put my money on WXOS on the uh, Paradise Sportsbook. You know what? I can't say anything about that because I got my buddy – BK. I got you. And, but you know what, Danny? I love you just as much. How's Thank that you. for you? Thank you. I would say bet on Ville Husso playing either Saturday or Sunday because okay. what I would imagine is Saturday would make sense for Ville because Bennington plays tonight. You get two days off, that third day off on Saturday for the Kings, throw Bennington back in there on Sunday. So one of those two, Ville will get the start. Yeah, you got the back to backs. Makes sense. And yeah. I, I agree. I think you go back with the starter 
and Bennington is the guy, and you win that game. I think you go back to back or with the back to backs yeah. with him. Kind of makes some sense in that regard. And I forgot what the math actually was for Joey, but but he did the math basically in the first like twenty eight to thirty games of the season, and really there was only one pair of back to backs. Otherwise, you had just a day off in between, a day off in between. The schedule really gets intense in the second half once that five day break in March comes, where they're basically playing three games in four days or something like that. So I I still think that sweet spot of how many games Huso will play this season is about 16 to 20. So if that's the case, I'm going to ride Jordan Biddington right now to try and build points and build that confidence. All right, buddy. Looking forward to it. What's coming up on the pregame tonight? So we got, uh, we have, I'm trying to uh, brainstorm right here because Come there's on. so much going Let's on go. here. Let's we do it. We have Jamie Rivers, of yes. course, talking as he always does. We're going to have some audio from some of the players who talked last night. We'll hear from the head coach, Craig Berube, and we're going to have a little piece from the San Jose Shark side talking their perspective on the Blues because they've been watching this Blues team for so long and they're going through the same thing the San Jose Sharks are going through. A new captain, how does that affect the locker room? So we'll get that perspective as well. Pre-game at 7. Pre-game at 7, and we got This Week in Hockey. Joe Vitale and I are doing it live from 6 to 7 o'clock to prep for uh, pre-game tonight. Looking forward to that and uh, puck drop at 8 from Enterprise Center. Stay up, Danny. I expect you to stay up. Don't worry about that, buddy. I got it covered. Great job. <laughs> Thanks, Thanks, my Sam. man. More of what you want to hear. Scoops with Danny Mac in podcast form on 101 ESPN. As we do every Wednesday, it's a chance to visit with Brian Walden of thecardinalnation.com as we always talk baseball. And the winter warm-up has come and gone, but still a lot of info that has been dispersed by the organization over the weekend. We're going to dive into that with Brian Walton of thecardinalnation.com. As always, Brian, uh, happy Wednesday to you. How are things going? Well, I'm doing fine, Dan. I, I got to admit, you know, in a normal January by now, three weeks into the year, I would have already had a trip down to Jupiter for instructional camp and would have had the opportunity to see you and many other folks, you know, in St. Louis for winter warm-up. And unfortunately, uh, neither one of those came to pass, but hopefully we'll be able to make up for this lost ground later in the year. Yeah, we're missing it, but uh, still info to get into with the minor leagues and with the major league club. And there are interviews posted at cardinals.com and slash wwu if you want to see some of these interviews but there are some major topics with all guys so i'm going to start with bill dewitt jr uh what stood out with that in terms of hey 162 game season uh, lost revenue yadi wayno what what really jumped out at you with that that vision with bill dewitt jr well i thought he was very candid about some of the rules changes that that were made during the year he mentioned you know why he liked the seven inning you know, uh, designate uh, double headers that uh, it was enjoyable to watch. And, you know, the, er- the sense of urgency earlier in the game and the fact the players seemed to like it as well. He, you know, was begrudgingly sort of, uh, you know, except for the designated hitter that, you know, especially with the Cardinals, uh, you know, they, a team that needs more offense, that's an advantage to them. And it took the pitchers out of injury situations. He likes the extra inning rule. Um, and again, you know, it doesn't beat up the players as much. So, you know, he, his take was, you know, he thought that a number of these, you know, could come back, and, and they probably will. Um, he was very, very uh, demonstrative about the goal of the Cardinals to play 162 games. And, of course, what they want to do is get as many fans in the ballpark as, as possible. And so, you know, they're looking at different ways to do that, and, and Bill DeWitt III talked more about that. But, you know, he also reiterated that, that they're expecting that, uh, you know, that 2020 was tough for all clubs, and, you know, it's going to be tough uh, uh, again. But that um, you know, they're doing what they can to ensure that uh, that fans can get in the ballpark safely and as many can see as possible. 
I thought you did a great job with, with him, you know, discussing Wainwright and, and Molina because he sort of touched on it once, but then you came back to it. And I, I actually wrote down his comments uh, because I thought they were very telling. Of course, he talked about them being iconic Cardinals and, you know, wonderful teammates and leaders. But he also said, and you know, I'm talking about Bill DeWitt Jr., said, we have made both of them offers, but if other offers, other teams offer more, they may choose to take it. And so that, you know, he certainly was very clear that he wants them back, but he also did not say, hey, we're going to go outbid the market. We've, you know, made our offers to them, and uh, now we're going to see, you know, what happens. Yeah, it's going to be interesting, and we'll, you know, see, time will tell. You just get the feeling that around baseball, now that we know, hey, we've, we've got a, an end in sight in terms of the end of the off season and the beginning of spring training, that some of these dominoes are going to fall, and that would mean probably – a decision one way or another with Yachty and, and Wayno, those two. Yes, but at the same time, you know, in John Mozeliak's session, you know, who before, you know, John Mozeliak was widely quoted as saying that January is the new December. But when he spoke, and, and you went into great detail, almost 30 minutes with him, so I, you know, definitely encourage fans to go there and listen to the whole thing, but he brought up the, you know, the Kyle Loesch situation, which a lot of folks may remember, uh, back, I don't know what, seven or eight years ago, he signed in mid-March. Literally, there were just like less than two weeks left in camp before the team broke. And um, Mosellock's words were, I wouldn't be shocked if that kind of thing happened again. Now, again, that was not a specific reference to Wainwright and Yachty. It could have been to something else. But I think most of us expect that the number of additions that the Cardinals bring in from outside beyond Wainwright and Molina is probably not going to be that great. I find it really interesting in that visit with him how he approached the outfielders of the Cardinals. And the, the, what, I, what I'm surprised, not surprised, but I, what I found interesting was, hey, we saw Rosarena. We didn't have at bats for him. He went somewhere else. He becomes a star in October. <clears throat> we miss out on that. I don't want to see that. I'm paraphrasing, but I don't want to see that happen with guys that we have now. And I don't know if that struck you, but it certainly struck me. Well, again, I wrote down his words. He said, our, I don't know if it was my greatest fear or our greatest fear, but the greatest fear is not giving our current outfielders a chance. And, you know, it's pretty clear. I mean, he didn't say we're not going to go out and sign Jack Pedersen or, or, you know, somebody else, but he pretty much said, hey, you know, we've got to give our guys a chance. And he also said, hey, you know, 2020 for a number of reasons really didn't, you know, count. It didn't really help us answer those questions and they've got to get that solved. So again, you know, you read between the lines and that doesn't exactly sound like they're ready to, you know, go bring in a big bat from the outside to play in the outfield. Did you find it interesting as well that he mentioned that 80 guys could be in camp? Now you can get spread out down in Jupiter because of all the fields. The complex would be tight, but you could get the work in because of the fields. I, I just found it when you have the virus still around, and you don't want to congregate. I thought, man, if they have spring training, you'd have maybe the 25-man roster or the 40-man 40, the 40 roster, and, and that's who'd be down there. But you forget, if you're going to have a normal spring training, you got split squads. There's a lot of things you got to take care of. you got to get bodies down there. And 80 guys, that's a lot of players, Brian. Yeah, I mean, that's really, you know, basically a normal spring camp, a high end of a normal spring camp. And the point on fields is that – 
you know, they're not going to have minor league spring training going on at the same time. So they've got fields one through six plus the plus the half field that all these guys could be spread out on. And, you know, they'll do – I'm sure Mike Schilt and the coaching staff will do a good job in optimizing how the players use their time and minimize, just like they did in 2020, minimize the amount of time that they have to spend at the ballpark but still get through a big spring training. On the other point you made, I think it's like the second and maybe the second day, certainly the first weekend of spring training, they had that first split squad game where, you know, they've got to have two full full rosters of players ready to play nine inning games each. So, you know, they're going to have the have to put the pedal to the metal starting on February 17th when pitchers and catchers report to Jupiter. Gary LaRock is the director of player development for the Cardinals. Uh, obviously an interesting year for him when you had the minor league shut down. Um, he talked about the fact that there could be a lot of rust on some of these players. He talked about there could be a piggyback system for pitchers. What stood out for you as you heard uh, from Gary LaRock? Yeah, he really, you know, he was really focused on how to build up the players so that, uh, you know, in the individual pro- programs that they need so that when they get them to camp, you know, they'll be able to give the maximum value. Now, you know, Gary acknowledged that guys who pitched 120, 150 innings in 2019, you know, they weren't able to replicate that last year. So you can't expect them to pitch 120 or 150 again in 2021. And so that means they have to be very – and that's, you know, the, the pitching side is going to be much more delicate probably than the hitter side in terms of that management. So that's where the idea of a six-man rotation, uh, something that they used uh, early in the season several years ago. I personally, and and, uh, Gary LaRock did not say this specifically, but my take would be a six-man rotation might be something you'd want to try at the high levels of the system like Memphis, where you've got still have guys stretched out so that if they're needed for St. Louis, you know, they could be ready. But the other option is piggyback starter, and that's where piggyback where or tandem where two pitchers are on the same schedule and one pitch is maybe four innings of the, and, uh, ahead of the other one with three innings, and then the next time they flip. One advantage to that is guys don't have to pitch as deeply into the games, but an advantage a lot of people don't think about, if you have a five-man rotation with piggyback, that is ten starting pitchers that you can keep stretched out and in a starting role. And let's face it, in 2020, they didn't have a lot of opportunity to evaluate these guys and, you know, they need to see these guys pitch in game situations to figure out, okay, who are going to be the guys that are going to be starters in the futures and future and which of the guys that are going to have to go to the bullpen. So the piggyback would give them not only a, a workload advantage, but also an evaluation advantage, keeping more guys starters in these uh, four potentially uh, four full season clubs that are going to play this summer. I'm going to be fascinated if major league clubs do this too. I, I wonder if some major league teams are going to be tempted to do this as well. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. Uh, you know, one of the things that would certainly help that is if they increase roster sizes. And, you know, one of the many questions we don't know about this coming season is, will they be 26? Will they go up to 28 again? What will they do? But, you know, there's an argue, argument to be made to say, hey, to conserve pitching, you know, having those two extra roster spots would be a really smart thing to do. But again, lacking that, what we're going to see is, you know, probably not to the extent when, you know, with all the double headers they had in 2020, but still, you know, we'll see a lot of movement, uh, you know, up and down I-55 between St. Louis and Memphis to keep fresh pitchers uh, available. Hey, Brian, if you could stay with us through the break. A lot more I want to get to concerning the Cardinals. But more of what you want to hear. Scoops with Danny Mac in podcast form on 101 ESPN. 
Back on 101 ESPN, we're still talking baseball on this Wednesday. Dan McLaughlin with you. This is Scoops with Danny Mac. Brian Walton is my guest of thecardinalnation.com. Kind of a review of what took place over the weekend with the winter warm-up. Brian, thanks for sticking through the break, as you always do. Want to get into Randy Flores, who runs the draft. And obviously, it wasn't ideal with what any team uh, had to deal with this past year, whether it was on the field for 60 games in a truncated season or trying to bring in new players into the system dealing with COVID. Uh, What did you take away from what Randy had to say this weekend? Yeah, Randy Flores talked about, uh, started off by talking about the 2020 draft and mentioned that uh, he he called Jordan Walker, third baseman Jordan Walker, a surprise pick. And uh, obviously wasn't a surprise for the Cardinals, but I think, you know, other organizations or, you know, other watchers of the draft figured, oh, the Cardinals will take a college pitcher because that's what they always do. Well, they didn't. And they uh, not, not only picked Walker, but then they followed up with two more uh, high school picks in Mason Wynn and Tank Hens. And he said the reason they did that was they thought coming into the draft that because it wasn't a normal spring and the players were not as scouted as much as usual, especially the high schoolers, that some of these guys might drop more than they would have in a normal draft. And so that's why the Cardinals leaned into the wind to take these guys who have more upside, uh, but, you know, certainly are a little bit higher risk. And then, you know, as they got to the middle of the draft and, you know, the middle of five rounds, seven picks, you know, they, they again, then went to two more, I guess, safer traditional college, college pitch. So it was a nice balanced draft, um, uh, you know, for the St. Louis Cardinals in, in 2020. No doubt. He also talked about, uh, Dylan Carlson, you asked him a very good question. That is, you know, the proud Papa question, right? When you're, you know, when your guys, the guys that you, you know, your scouts selected and you, you know, you ultimately had to make the decision to pick, you know, when they make the majors, how do you feel? And I thought Randy Flores shared some interesting insight on Dylan Carlson, who was his first, you know, pick as a scouting director in 2016. And he was a guy that a lot of folks didn't expect would be in the first round thought maybe the Cardinals were doing that to save money or, or something else. And so I think he had a special, you know, little bit of pride and vindication that, hey, that Dylan Carlson pick, you know, seems to have come out pretty darn well. <laughs> yeah, I think it worked pretty darn well is right. Bill DeWitt the third uh, capacity for fans in the stands, and there's going to be fans in the stands, but he mentioned it's kind of a, a situation of geometry. And basically you get to be about 28% in the lower bowl, and then after that, it, it gets cut off because you can't get six feet apart, and then once you get to 28%, it's going to be either that or full capacity. I, I found that really interesting. Yeah, yeah, that pretty much sums it up. He was asked, you know, do you, will you have some kind of phase program where you go from 10 to 20% to 30%, and he said, no, not really. You know, as you, know, as you have clusters of two or four tickets together, you've got to keep those clusters six feet apart, and as you said, the math gets out to roughly 28% of capacity. He said anywhere from eight to 12,000 per game. And the only way they could really increase that is if they could bring fans closer than six feet. And that's probably not going to happen. What instead will happen, we hopefully at some point in time is enough people will be inoculated and, you know, things will open. And of course the local health officials will allow them to open up and maybe in the second half of the season to uh, more of a full capacity environment. That's what the Cardinals are hoping. And of course, you know, it's no it's no secret that they they want that revenue. They need that revenue from uh, you know from the fans. But they're gonna you know they're gonna play the season and and hope for the best. Brian Walden of thecardinalnation.com. One of your expertise on your site is covering 
the minor leagues and how this is all going to come together. And you've got this morning a really in-depth interview of how, or not interview, but at least a in-depth look of how this all may come together. How did you all come about uh, the different steps of looking at how 2020 one may come together for the minor league season. Well, there's a number of things that are being that have been discussed, uh, you know, informally among people in the game. Uh, Baseball America provides great coverage inside, of course, and uh, you know there was things that were said in some of the sessions in winter warmup that you know caused me to uh, you know make a little few notes and sit up straight. And so I kind of put all these things that were in my head together, and I I, I start with the 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 uh, situation of the agreements that have to be in place, the professional development license between major league baseball and the minor league teams until those licenses, uh, you know, get in the hands of the teams and they, now they are, but they, it's only been the last week or 10 days. Now the minor league teams have to evaluate them and say, okay, do I want to sign this? Because they're asking me to commit, you know, X number of dollars for these types of improvements to my facility over time, which is goodness for the players. But there are a lot of, you know, there are a lot of questions about these 120 teams that they, you know, they're going to have to sign on the dotted line. And until they do, until those minor league teams all sign those agreements, you don't have leagues. And if you don't have leagues, you don't have schedules. And if you don't have schedules, you can't sell tickets. And if you can't do that, you can't have a minor league season. So, you know, there's this backdrop of all this stuff going on, you know, in the background about the, you know, consolidation of minor leagues that has to get resolved because at the major league level, right, we know, we know in the first, uh, spring training games with 27th or 28th of February, whatever, you know, we know when the regular season is going to begin. The minor leagues have none of that. What do you think the season is going to look like? If, if, I mean, I know it's a tough, very, very tough question to, to answer at this point, but as you kind of read between the lines, what, what do you think a minor league season might look like at the lower levels? Well, it, it looks, it looks damn like uh, at the major league level, they'll bring in the triple a guys. So and we talked before about that, you know, 75 to 80 players in camp. That's basically going to be, the guys who will make St. Louis, the guys who will make Memphis, and you know, and a few others. But and and because of the you know continuing issue of the virus and keeping people distanced, they will not bring in the minor leaguers in March like they normally do. They're going to wait and bring them in after St. Louis and the Memphis teams vacate the complex. Well, that puts them at least a month late. So that rather than starting in April, they're going to start in May. Then you have the short season players. Their season normally starts the middle of June. But by the way, in 2021, the draft has been moved to July, to All-Star Weekend, to the middle of July. So now your short season, which now is just down with State College of Johnson City out of the picture, that's only the Gulf Coast League. I mean, those, those guys, even if they signed right away, would have a season of only six weeks or so. So there's rumors that they're considering some other approaches uh, that would – allow these drafted players to get some experience, but not maybe in a traditional league function as we know it. Um, but for the major, for the primary minor league teams, and I'm talking about the four full season teams, uh, Memphis, Springfield, Peoria, Palm Beach, those, even though the three of those leagues will start late, there's talk that they'll play into September instead. And probably because of the travel issues, they will not uh, play in the playoffs. They'll also uh, if rumors are right, we'll play a more restrictive schedule, sort of like the Cardinals did last year where they really only played in their division, which cut down on travel and, you know, potential exposure to the virus. Where I really get concerned, though, is the business aspect of this. They are so reliant on fans in the stands, and if you can't get fans in the stands, I'm not sure how you can have a season. Uh, you know, it's it's one thing to say we want to play, and I get it, but if you don't have fans, you don't have revenue, and it's zero. Well, yeah, and in the Cardinals system – 
uh, you know, there's kind of two kinds of minor league teams in a way, right? There are the ones that are owned by the parent Cardinals. And here I'm talking about Springfield and Palm Beach. And so, you know, if the Cardinals want them to play, they will play, period. Now, Memphis and Peoria, you know, have have uh, independent ownership. Right. But but I checked with one of those clubs in fair amount of detail, and they've said, hey, we understand the importance of our role in the player development for the Cardinals. We don't want to play with an empty ballpark, but if we have to do it, we're willing to do it to, you know, to help the Cardinals. So, you know, that just gives you some kind of feeling for the, the partnership that exists out there. Again, you know, none of the minor league teams want to, you know, play in empty stadiums, but they're, you know, they're willing to do it if that's what's necessary to get baseball going on time. Interesting. Well, you have that article this morning, and what else is happening right now as we wrap it up with Brian Walton at thecardinalnation.com? Well, yesterday we uh, have an in-depth uh, report, as we do every Tuesday, on the uh, Cardinals players playing in winter ball, Carlos Martinez, we talked about last week had had uh, opted out of a of an important game, but came back uh, pitched well after a rough first inning in his outing. And his club and that of Edmundo Sosa is going to be going on to the Caribbean Series to represent the Dominican Republic. Yadier Molina is playing uh, in not catching, but he's doing some first base designated hitting and even pitched an inning in a blowout. And so we have the video up of uh, of uh, uh, of Yadier facing I don't know half a dozen batters as a pitcher. And uh, he definitely looked like a catcher on the mound, not a pitcher. So I don't think he's going to. I don't think he's going to give up his day job. But, and then uh, the other thing that I'm going to pick back up on uh, probably tomorrow on Thursday is we're still doing uh, analysis of our top 50 prospect list, and uh, there's some work yet to be ahead on the tools of the individual players and looking at them as a group to say, you know, based on the. Uh, you know, based on the five tools for hitters, you know, which guys look like they have the best run tool, which guys look like they have the best power tools, you know, and it's kind of take a different cut at the, uh, at the top. And the same on the pitching side as well, right? Who has the, who has the best fastball, who has the best curveball, who's the command and control guys. So, um, you know, continue to come to the Cardinal Nation every day and get new news, uh, fresh news that's not uh, being written anywhere else about the Cardinals and their system. Awesome stuff, Brian. Thank you so much. We'll catch you up next Wednesday. Sounds good, Dan. That's Brian Walton of thecardinalnation.com. More of what you want to hear. Scoops with Danny Mac in podcast form on 101 ESPN. Time now for the crossover. Brought to you by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Close to home or close to work. For quality tires and expert auto service, you can always count on Dobbs. is in the house. This is the crossover and he'll be with Alex Ferrario and Alex will have the uh, Blues pregame, postgame intermissions. We've got Blues hockey coming up tonight. They're back at Enterprise and the Sharks are in town so looking forward to that coming up on 101 ESPN. The game can be seen on Fox Sports Midwest as well. BK is always working angles. I like it. You're always thinking of different things on your show. Um, So first of all, let's start with that because that gets me thinking. What do you got coming up on the show? Okay, so coming up today... Uh, there was the big news in the NFL, Philip Rivers officially calling it a career. Yep. It sounds like in the same report, basically, from Ian Rappaport. And we kind of knew this was going to happen, but it Hall hasn't actually truly been reported. Uh, Drew Brees also going to call Hall it a famer. career. Um, this is the end of the start of the end of the greatest generation of quarterbacks I, I think we've ever seen One in the them. league. One of them. I think the greatest generation. I mean, so that was the Brady, draft class. Manning, Rogers, Breeze, Ben, that Rivers, yeah. this generation, not even just one specific class, yeah. from basically 98 through 04, that group of guys. 
I don't think we're ever going to see anything like that again. I mean, maybe we'll see. Maybe I'm talking on both sides of my mouth here, but kind of 2017 to now, maybe it could be something similar. But I think you'll see another generation. Amazing. I do. I think you're seeing it already. I think when you're seeing what's going on with the Chargers, I think what you're seeing with Mahomes, um, you, you'll always have another group that comes sure. in and another wave. I, I just believe that. There's just another generation. And I, I think sometimes now when you see guys like Breeze and Brady, um, I, I think when you see Rivers playing this long, it, the money dictates it. Sometimes guys say, my body's been beat up. I, I don't really have the desire to play that much longer because I've made the money. But other guys say, I want to play that the the length of whatever whatever my body dictates, I'll play. It's interesting. It's all personal choice. But I do think there's sometimes guys just love it, so they just play longer, and they they'll just play 15 to 20 years. You and may get that. The rules have now been adjusted to allow for that, right? That's right. So there, there's some of that as well. I just... I find it fascinating that stylistically, too, yeah. there's so many differences between the guys that we're talking about there, more statuesque, the accuracy. Yep. Um, that was kind of the prototypical quarterback in the early 2000s. And now you have something completely different. No doubt. With guys like Watson and Mahomes and Justin Herbert, all of these guys coming in today. I mean, you look to next year's class, this, this one that's upcoming. Justin awesome. Fields, like yeah. Trevor Lawrence, these guys can all run. They all bring that element to the game as well. So that concerns me, though. In terms of injury risk, yep. I could see that it's it's more fun to watch. Like I aesthetically, like watching the games, I think this generation is more fun to watch There's than no the doubt, previous but, one. But was. like, look at last weekend with Mahomes. Can't take those kind of hits because you won't stay in the league that long. You won't. It just won't happen. You you go out with a concussion. You go out with another one. You go out with another one. You're done. You know what I'm saying? It's true. Yeah. You got to stay in the pocket, get rid of it, and that's how you stay in the league. The the thing that I would say is he he has done prior to that hit, and that was a weird yes, one. He's done he a good a job. He does a pretty good job of avoiding those. Same thing with Russell Wilson, yes, he does. Kyler Murray. Those guys are really good at avoiding the big shots, which helps. Uh, but that's something that they all have learned. I mean, a lot yes, of those have. guys have a baseball history as well, which yep. helps with the sliding technique. So there's a lot that goes into it. But we'll we'll talk about that coming up. There was a great article yesterday from Jeremy Rutherford on the Blues front office Saw that. spending that was great. to the cap every year since Doug Armstrong's been in charge. The responsibility of citizen, that kind of thing, what you mean to the city, that kind of thing. I, I, I enjoyed that. ask you this, Dan, because you, you saw it a little more up close and personal than I did at the time. TLR, was, was he, in terms of the influence he had on the spending, on acquiring specific players, how much of that was there from him? Oh, when he was here in St. Louis. Yeah, well, he and Walt had a great, and I would say he and Mo had a great relationship, too, to say, I think our needs are this. Let's go out and get player X. You know, I think our deficiencies with the franchise in terms of what we need at the major league level are this, not the minor leagues, but our major league deficiencies are with pitching or relief or, you know, second base or whatever. But this is what we need to go get. And they did that. Now, times have changed. You know, when you look at how Walt would do these things, um, you look at the early 2000s, and it's been talked about a lot, but they went out and got McGuire. And that, to me, changed the franchise um, in a lot of ways. They packed the place, and to ownership's credit, they took that money and reinvested it in the franchise. And you, you saw Edmonds, you saw Roland, you saw some of the different players that came through. But then it really did change to where they invested so hard into how they drafted and 
um, the analytics of, of the draft. I mean, they were at the forefront of what we're seeing now with analytics. The Cardinals were at the forefront of doing that, and it, it changed it. And look at their drafts in the mid-2000s, uh, early two, like 2005 is what I'm talking about, to like 2010, and all those players that came through that changed what they were able to do um, and finding the Trevor Rosenthal's and the Matt Adams and players like that, that normally weren't on a lot of draft boards to say, Hey, these could be major league players. And they turned out to be major league players and they won them championships. And so that changed it, how they went about their business. So um, yeah, I, I would say TLR, I'm going off on a tangent, but he, he changed a lot of different things and how they did it. I always find it interesting because that guy doesn't exist so much in baseball. Maybe he does now in, in Chicago again, but the manager. Well, that I think also he's changing has, it now. Sure. Because he's saying I'm here for, well, he's 76. So you got to figure the, the, the baseball life of him is short, right? Absolutely. I mean, he's not going to be there for 10 years. You wouldn't think. So they're going to go for it. Go get Liam Hendricks. Go get Lance Lynn. Go get what we need to win right now. They're going for it. The reason why I brought it up is just because like the manager that has the power to go to the front office and say, we need X, Y, and Z that has changed. And now it is more of a front office sport telling the manager, here are the players that you're going to have. Whereas with, from what I understand, from what I've read, when TLR was here, it was more of a working together, a mutual relationship of here's what we are going to do together, as opposed to kind of coming from the top to the bottom. I, I still think that there's give and take. I, I do. Um, I would say this, though, before a series starts, manager shows up and on his desk, there's a pile of notes saying, hey, here's all the analytics on who we're facing. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's part of it. That That's just the way the game is played now. You know, it's just it's just part of the sport. Yeah, different sport now. Yeah, it's uh, it's what we see today. We got the Blues coming up tonight, so looking forward to that. Uh, I'm sure you're going to get into that with uh, with Alex as well. Okay, Tanner, great job. You guys be nice to Tanner as always. I'll see you all at uh, 10 o'clock tomorrow on 101 ESPN. You've been listening to Scoops with Danny Mac, the podcast powered by I Promise.